Our Bible reading this morning is taken initially from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Uh, I've taken the liberty of using a different translation to the one in the pews. Only slightly different words. And in this passage, Jesus teaches his followers to pray. Once, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he stopped praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus told them, when you pray, say this, Father, let your name be kept holy. Let your kingdom come. Give us our bread day by day. Forgive us as we forgive everyone else. Don't allow us to be tempted. Jesus said to his disciples, suppose one of you had a friend. And suppose you go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me borrow three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a trip has dropped in to see me and I don't have anything to serve him. Now your friend might answer you from inside his house, don't bother me, the door's already locked, my children are in bed, I can't get up to give you anything. I can guarantee that although he doesn't want to give you anything, he will get up and give you whatever you need because he is your friend and because you are so bold. And so I tell you to ask and you will receive. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Everyone who asks will receive. The one who searches will find. And the person who knocks, the door will be opened. If your child asks you, his father, for a fish, would you give him a snake instead? Or if your child asks you for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. So how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Our second reading comes from the prophecy of Ezekiel in chapter 1. Just a few phrases to put the reading into context. Ezekiel said, There was a big cloud with lightning coming from it and with a bright light around it. Inside, the fire was something like glowing metal and in the fire was what looked like four living beings. They looked like men having wings. And every place where the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. Over the heads of these, verse 22, over the heads of these living beings, there was something that looked like the sky. 
It shined like crystal and spread over their heads. A voice came from above the large covering over their heads. Whenever they stood still, they let down their wings. Above the large covering that was over their heads, there was something that looked like a throne and looked like it was made of sapphire. And sitting on the throne was what looked like a man. And then I saw that there was something like glowing metal in the center of his body and up to his head. It looked like fire all around it. And from the center of his body and down to his feet, I saw something like fire. There was a bright light shining all around him. This light shining around him looked like the rainbow in the clouds on a day of rain. And this is what the shining greatness of the Lord looked like. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. May the Lord bless these words to each one of us. Thank you, Ted. And David's going to come and bring us his reflections on these passages. So let's pray for David as he comes and does that. Father, we thank you for David. We thank you, God, for um, the way that you've been speaking to him, for his understanding and knowledge and relationship with you. And we thank you, God, for what you've placed in his heart to share with us today. We pray that these would be words from you to us and that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear them and to receive them in Jesus name Amen Morning As I reflected in the first service Jonathan is taller than he needs to be really isn't he <laughs> but I'm not going to try and faff around with the height of that now Um so I'm speaking to you this morning with uh, rather more trepidation in my heart than I, I would do normally because uh, uh, we have a prayer meeting before the service and uh, Jonathan opened it this morning with, uh, by saying, well, seems like it's going to be a fairly simple one this morning. And I said, I've got to talk about the inner workings of God. Um, it's, <laughs> it's not an easy one for me. Um, So today we're starting uh, one on the Trinity, and uh, whenever you start talking about these kind of things, you know, it it gets a bit dicey, I suppose. So so just bear with me, and um, yeah, as I said to the first service, you know, hopefully by the end of this you won't be kind of carrying me outside going, heretic, heretic, throwing me on the grass. So uh, yeah, the Trinity. We are Christians, and we believe in a monotheistic, trinitarian God. What does that mean? Okay, let's break it down. Theistic, as opposed to deistic or pantheistic. Deism is the idea that God sets and forgets the universe. Makes the universe and then goes away and has no more interaction with it. That's not the God we believe in. That's deism. Don't believe in that. Uh, Pantheism is that there is 
no difference between the universe and God. In the equation, God minus the universe, the answer is zero. So, you know, someone after the first service said to me, I'm kind of wondering if maybe I'm secretly pantheistic. No, no, no they're not. Um, pantheism, you know, you would involve believing that every rock you see is a, a, a literal manifestation of God, you know, is, is God. Uh, and we don't believe that either. We believe in theism. Theism is a belief that God creates the universe and continues to be involved with it while also being separate from it. So that's theism. Monotheism. Not just theism, monotheism. As opposed to polytheism. Polytheism is uh, the religious context into which the Bible was written. The belief that there are lots and lots of gods and none of them are all powerful. Um, and so you had to worship all of them just because you never knew who you were going to have to make sure was happy next. You know, if you needed a good harvest, you had to pray to the harvest god. And if you needed a good battle, you had to pray to the god of war or whatever. That's not the God we believe in either. We believe in monotheism, which stands apart from polytheism because we only believe in one God, one God who is sovereign over all creation. Uh, and as I say, the uh, context into which the Bible was written was polytheistic, and so the, uh, the Hebrews and the Christians who uh, wrote the Bible were writing against polytheism. So we believe in monotheism. And that brings us out of all the world religions down to just a handful as the Jews, us, uh, but within that group, we are Trinitarian, and that's one of the things which makes Christianity really distinctive, is the doctrine of the Trinity that we're going to spend the next five weeks studying. The belief that within one God, a single essence, there are three distinct persons who are not the same as each other, but nevertheless form a single Godhead. And uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be having a sermon all about that, so I'm not going to expand on that too much. The only thing I am going to say is the, uh, the most useful teaching I've ever heard on the Trinity is that if you are certain you understand it, you're probably a heretic. Because it's not given to us to understand the Trinity. We, can, we believe it's true... But it's a mystery which is beyond us. And there are many mysteries in Christianity. In many ways, Christianity is a mystery religion. And so it's okay to not understand the Trinity. And it's okay to, understand, to not understand lots of things about God. Um, and so this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm just focusing on what we call the first person in the Trinity, the Father. Um, and we're going to try and focus on that, although any teaching about any person within the Trinity, because the Trinity is still one God, is in some way teaching about all of the parts of the Trinity. Otherwise, it's not genuinely Christian teaching. And so there's going to be some overlap, but I'm going to try and stick to mostly the Father. Okay, so that kind of lays a bit of a foundation and kind of, I've lost some of you already, I can see. <laughs> so in Paul, um, he describes uh, Jesus as the image of the invisible God. And so the Father, the first person in the Trinity, is the invisible God. The God which we can't know anything about. And in our passage this morning in Ezekiel, he has a vision of God's glory. 
I want you to pay attention to the way he talks about God. Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down it looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So it was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So what Ezekiel does there is he keeps on repeating, this is, appears to be this, or this is a bit like that. Because the Bible, because God is invisible and unknowable, the Bible speaks in terms of analogy. Um, so, and, sorry, uh, because our experience of God's creation gives us signposts to its creator, but those signposts are always going to be imperfect. So, for example, we talk about um, God uh, knowing. When we talk about human knowing, we mean that there are synaptic connections in the brain which we reinforce over time so that when we need a piece of information, we can recall it. That's not what happens with God. But God still understands everything about his creation. And so there is an analogy between what happens when we know something and when God knows something. But the difference is that because God is spirit and is um, outside of the universe, every part of his personality and who he is is uh, multiplied by infinity. And so when God knows something, he knows something times infinity, which is a, a phenomenon we call his omniscience. He knows everything. Similarly, his power. If a human is powerful, they have strong muscles. God doesn't have any muscles because he doesn't have a body, because he's spirit. But his influence on the universe means that there is um, nothing which is kind of outside of his capability, more or less. Um, it's a bit more complicated. And we... So his power is similar to what we mean when we say power, but it is of a different quality, and then we multiply it up by infinity, which we call his uh, omnipotence. The idea that God can do anything. Although he can't actually do anything, really, can he? Because he can't do evil. Um, he can't not love you. He can't, as one philosophy lecturer I had once said, sneeze. Um, <laughs> So, sorry, uh, I didn't know I was going to say that. <laughs> um, so yes, we, we talk about God in terms of these um, analogies. Because God is infinite, and how can we, in our finite understanding, approach anything of his infinity? God is so outside of our experience, and so much greater than our experience that in fact he is completely unknowable to us. He transcends the universe. He's completely apart from it. He is invisible and unknowable, and there is no way that we could um, 
come to understand anything about it. And yet we do. Let's turn to Luke, where Jesus gives us more analogies. Um, And he expands on one of the key analogies we use for uh, God, which is God's fatherhood. As I said before, Paul talks about Christ as being the image of the invisible God. This starts to get into the second person in the Trinity stuff, God the Son. Um, And so I'm not going to talk about it too much. But you can understand it perhaps like this. Jesus is the ultimate analogy of who God is. We can only understand God by analogy. Jesus is someone we can look at and say, what we see in Jesus is what God is like. But of course, Jesus is also God. And so, like everything about God, his analoginess is times by infinity. And so Jesus is the ultimate analogy of who God is. So we can always look at Christ and see the invisible, unknowable God. But that, I'm sure, we'll expand on much more next week because that's second-person stuff. So the fatherhood of God. And Jesus, as he, uh, in this passage, expands what that means, what this specific analogy means. He says, when you pray, pray, Father. So there is something about God's relationship to his creation, which is fatherhood. And I can see Andy right there. (laughs) Hello. Congratulations, (laughs) both of you. But Andy this week became a father. Was it this week or was it the week before? Sorry. The week before, okay. Very recently then, became a father. Um, And... That's an experience I had a few years ago, and uh, Andy, you're about to learn more about God. Uh, poo, <laughs> thank you. But you're also going to you're also going to learn more about God in the next however long than you've ever learned before, because your understanding of what fatherhood means is about to be completely transformed. Poo is also fascinating, though. Um, <laughs> Oh dear. Uh, (laughs) I know, I shouldn't have done that. I'm realizing now that was a mistake. God's relationship with his creation is that of a father to his children. It is not the relationship of, say, for example, a husband to a wife or a child to a parent. God's relationship is father and we are his children, which teaches us something about how God relates to us. We are junior members, obviously, of the relationship, but there is a a love um, and a honour that uh, exists within that relationship. Um, and I know not everyone has easy relationships with their fathers, but um, as I've said, everything God does is infinite. And so God in his infinite goodness and his infinite love um, is infinitely capable of being uh, 
a perfect expression of what a father ought to be, regardless of what our human experience is. Hallowed be your name. So here God is, uh, Jesus is using the analogy of, um, of uh, something being set apart and holy and uh, saying God is that to an infinite degree, is infinitely worthy of worship. Your kingdom come. As I said before, God um, exerts absolute control over his creation. His power is infinite. When God breathes in and breathes out, the universe breathes in and breathes out. I uh, heard someone say once that science is the uh, study of how God works in predictable ways. So when the earth goes round the sun, that's the action of gravity, but gravity is a description of how uh, God decrees that uh, bodies interrelate within the physical universe. Because God's power is infinite. And yet there is a part of God's creation which is given exemption from that and is given uh, license to not obey his will, uh, and that is us. And here Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, which is to say, let your infinite power come to rule in our lives as well, and let us know what it is you would have us do so that um, the, uh, the will you have for the universe becomes what we do as well. Because like a father, God gives us uh, the license to make our own mistakes and, and the guidance to see where those mistakes are going to come. Give us each day our daily bread. Jesus teaches us that uh, through the analogy of a provider, that God's love for us is one of provision. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Again, the idea of God's uh, fatherhood being um, a relationship where kind of to make mistakes, but also guidance to avoid those mistakes and forgiveness infinite forgiveness when we do make them. And he goes on to uh, use the, the parable of the friend at night, the friend coming and saying, um, I, I, I've had someone come and visit me and I need some bread. Will you give me some bread? And the bloke going, no, it's the middle of the night. I don't want to. You know, it's... And Jesus says... If you, in your imperfection, would get up and give your friends some food, imagine what a being of infinite love and provision and grace would do. So the one is an analogy to the other. And so what all of this teaches us is that even though God is infinite and so far beyond our faculties, we 
couldn't possibly know him. He nevertheless has a close, intimate relationship with us. The unknowability of God, as I said, is called his transcendence. The closeness of God is called his imminence. And these two things, uh, like the Trinity, exist as a mystery for us to ponder and perhaps never to solve. But God is unknowable, but he is also intimate enough that we can hear the sound of his whispering. So, there's some uh, theology for you. But what does any of this mean? What point does any of this have for us this morning? And I've been thinking about this this week, and um, it wasn't until yesterday evening that I kind of started to maybe glimpse something. We are doing this series on the Trinity because we want to uh, understand how God relates within himself. The Trinity is a picture of a loving community within a single um, God. And we can draw from that uh, an analogy to how we should be as a church or a picture of uh, what a loving community looks like. But in this uh, transcendence and imminence, I think there might also be a lesson for us as a church. And um, it's perhaps fitting that this is the first series we do after Matthew uh, has left us the first series of the uh, vacancy period. It's actually the last series which Matthew wrote for us um, before he left. Because it's a series which exists in uh, one body, though we are many. And so I think the lesson of the first person of the Trinity, of the unknowable, unimaginable, and yet very close personal God, is I am transcendent to all of you, just as you are transcendent to all of me. I can never know what it is to be any one of you. And we could talk about what it's like to be you, and I could try and explain what it's like to be me. But there is always going to be a barrier between us that I cannot know what it's like to be any of you and have your lived experience. So we are transcendent from one another. And when we come to church on a Sunday morning, we will not see what has been going on in each of our lives over the past week, two weeks, months, years. Because we're removed from one another and we're, in some senses, alone in our own heads. And so my question this morning is how can we also be imminent to one another? How can we develop uh, an intimacy with one another? How can we um, forge a unity between us? How can we build the bridges between me and you and each of us to each other. And not only within ourselves, how do we um, become imminent to the other churches who meet on a Sunday morning in Campbell? How do we become imminent to the other religious groups that meet in Campbell? How do we become 
imminent to the people who do their shopping in Morrisons or the people who work in Domino's? How do we become imminent to the teenagers at the skate park and the kids and the mums at the schools and dads at the schools? I'm asking these as questions uh, which might make it sound like I know the answer and I'm afraid I don't. Um, but this is something which it, over the next few months um, as we go into our vacancy period we need to be thinking about. And we need to start trying to forge that intimacy with one another and grow ourselves into um, Christ's body. And if we can start to solve that and become imminent with one another, though we are unknowable to each other, if we can become close and intimate and grow those relationships as a church and outside the church, then perhaps we will show the people outside this church something of the infinite love and grace and generosity and kindness of God. Amen.